morning, friends, to this Resurrection Sunday service at St. Matthew's. As we get underway, we have a short video to watch, which retells the story of the first Easter. Here's how the Apostle John describes the beginning of the Resurrection Day. John chapter 20, verse 21. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. 
It must have been so exciting to be there. Would you stand and we'll sing, Jesus Christ is risen today. standing you may not be familiar with a custom on resurrection sunday a greeting which we'll put up on the screen there it is someone like me at the front says he is risen and you get the chance to say he is risen indeed would that be good to do he is risen he is risen indeed praise god please be seated 
And welcome again to St Matthew's this Resurrection Sunday, both to those of you who are in the building and those of you who are joining us online. It's uh, wonderful to see you and really glad to welcome uh, many guests with us uh, today. Um, you're, you're very welcome at St Matthew's. Ahead of us in the service, uh, Jess will be reading for us from uh, the account of the resurrection uh, by uh, the Apostle John. John was someone who was the closest friend of Jesus. He knew Jesus before Jesus went to the cross. He knew him again as the risen Lord of all after he'd risen from the dead. And his account is such a treasure for us to read. The empty tomb was discovered early in the morning, as we heard earlier. Mary Magdalene went there. She found the stone rolled away and the, the tomb was empty. Uh, Nathan uh, Campbell, one of our ministers, will be helping us reflect on, on the wake-up call that the resurrection of Jesus is to people everywhere, across the world and down through the ages. As well as hearing from the Bible, uh, we'll be singing again we'll get the chance to hear something sung to us and we'll be praying. Uh, so, so much to look forward to this morning. Right now, we are going to come before God in prayer. Please join me as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Now we have an opportunity to say out loud what it is that we believe about the love and greatness of God. Please join me as we say together the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We now have a choir item to enjoy.
The coming, uh, the dying, the rising of the Lord Jesus reassures us about God's goodness and power uh, that we access through prayer. I'm going to lead us in prayer. We bring all sorts of concerns with us this morning, uh, both personal and our concerns uh, on a wider front. Uh, God is there and he cares and he welcomes our prayers in the name of Jesus. I'll lead us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we rejoice this Resurrection Sunday in the salvation you have won for the world through our Lord Jesus. He is the light that darkness could not overcome. Please hold us steadfast, serving and following him every day. Lord God, we pray for the whole world that you have made and that you love. We pray for all nations, especially for those who are living with strife, particularly the people of Ukraine. Establish your peace in the hearts of all and banish from them the spirit that makes for war. Comfort those who grieve for lost ones. Protect those who flee their homes in search of refuge. Lord God, we pray for those who carry authority in your world. As a federal election approaches in our own country, we pray for each party and candidate to campaign responsibly and for party leaders to lead well during this time. And we pray too that you will help us as citizens to each play our part by contributing to the common good. We are so thankful for those who serve our wider community. We thank you particularly as the effects of COVID continue 
for the skillful and sacrificial work of frontline health and aged care workers through this pandemic. We pray that you'll sustain them and keep them safe and continue to make their work effective. And Lord, we pray for all in our community who are weary in these troubled times. May they find their rest in you. And we ask that this Easter, out of your great love, you would make your way known to people right across our world. May the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus come to all people. Hear our prayer for all who do not know your love and have not heard the gospel of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Send us out in your light and truth through the messengers of the, your word. Especially we ask for our St Matthew's mission partners that their labours and ours might bring many to saving trust in Christ. And Lord, we commend to your fatherly goodness all who are afflicted or distressed in any way. And I'll give you a moment to silently lift to God those uh, you love and who are known to you who are on your heart at the moment. And Lord, as a congregation of your people here at St Matthew's, we especially pray for our sister Barbara Ty and for all who grieve the loss of her husband Richard. Lord, we pray for all we've lifted up to you that you'd relieve them according to their needs. Assure them of your compassion and love, giving them patience in their sufferings and deliverance from their afflictions. This we ask confidently for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ and through him, who is our Saviour and our Lord. Amen. Just before we sing again, uh, there are some notices to share with you. And the first is to say another word of welcome and to introduce myself, I forgot to say at the beginning of the service for our guest's sake, my name's Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthew's. Uh, we're very glad that you've joined us today, whether in person uh, or, or online. Uh, if you are with us for the first time, uh, if you're ready for this, we'd love to know that you've been here. And uh, there are a number of ways that you can do that. Uh, online, you'll see the QR code on your screen. If you're in the building, you'll find a little business card size card that looks something like this. You could use that. You could point your phone at it. I think we're getting pretty used to doing that as a community. And uh, just let us know that you've been here. But of course, you're very welcome just to come and say hello to me uh, or to Nathan, um, who you'll meet a little later in the service. And I also mentioned that straight after the service, we've got some hot, hot cross buns um, that'll be served across the courtyard and in the function room. Uh, we'd love to have you stay on and enjoy that. The other thing to say is uh, we're back next Sunday and we'd love to see you at one of our services. Uh, the 8 o'clock service next week will look quite similar today, to, to today's. Although we'll be looking at the theme of our response to suffering and the idea of being able to redeem suffering uh, as we consider all that the Lord Jesus has done for us. So that's next Sunday. Later in the day at 10 and 5, there are our family services with children's programs and we also have a, a later night service at, uh, at 6.30. At 6 
The other thing to consider doing is to come and join us when we next run our Alpha course. You may be sitting on a card that looks a bit like this one. Uh, the Alpha course is run all over the world and has been for some time. And the kind of people who found it very valuable are those who've, who've still got questions about God and the world. And it's a chance to consider those questions, to raise those questions uh, in the context of watching a little video about Jesus and sitting around tables having had a light meal and just being able to raise those questions and hear what others have to say. Uh, so the Alpha course, the next Alpha course starts at St Matthew's on the second Tuesday of May and all the details are on that flyer. It's a, it's, it's a really worthwhile course. A lot of people say it was great to have an opportunity to ask questions that have been there for a long time and also to hear some really helpful answers. So the Alpha course starts, it runs for about a couple of, couple of hours over eight weeks on Tuesday night starting May the 10th. That's everything from me. We're going to stand, so would you please, uh, we're going to sing, so would you please stand as we sing and this will be our collection hymn. Uh, we make a collection for the work of the gospel here at St Matthew's and beyond.
The reading this morning is taken from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, and you can find it on the Bibles in the pews on page 1087. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Peter, Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Well, thank you, Jess. Good morning, everyone. And it is a good morning, isn't it? It's a great morning, because this morning we celebrate our risen Lord. Just give me a moment to set up here. I wonder, um, are you a morning person? I wonder how many morning people we've got in here this morning. I've got three boys, one who's not yet old enough really to read a clock, so he is a morning person. And he's currently still adjusting to the end of daylight savings, which is fantastic. He came in and uh, woke us up at 4am one morning this week, which was lovely. So by default, I think that makes me a morning person. 
unwillingly, I might add. What about you? Have you ever been here with us uh, on a Christmas morning, 10 a.m. in particular, Bruce, our senior minister, has this tradition where he, he loves to award a prize to the person who got up the earliest on Christmas morning. So, of course, normally it's a bleary-eyed mum or dad who's been yanked out of bed at 3.30 in the morning for Christmas presents. But I figured, given that it's Easter Sunday, why not try to balance things out a little bit? So I'm interested to know who woke up the latest this morning? Who woke up the latest? You reckon we can do that? So put your hand up if you were still asleep this morning at 6.30. Anyone here still asleep at 6.30? There's a few. Keep your hand up if you were still asleep at 7. We've got one or two or three. 7.15, still asleep. We've got a couple... 7.30, 7.45, and the hands went down, I didn't quite see, it looks like there might have been a tie. Congratulations, now if you think this egg is for you, you'd be mistaken. <laughs> this is your egg, because you see, you've had your prize already, you've got to sleep in. I, on the other hand, didn't, and so this one's for me. I could get used to this tradition. You know, it, it's interesting, you don't hear much in the Bible about mourning people, and yet we've got one here in our passage today, don't we? Mary Magdalene has got to be a mourning person, because we're told there in the very first verse of John's Gospel, chapter 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. And this is actually a detail that all four Gospels want to include in their account of the resurrection. Matthew says that it was at dawn. Mark and Luke tell us that it was very early. John adds that it was still dark. So you see, whatever else you might want to say about Easter Sunday, this is an early morning story. It's an early morning story. It's taking place in the dark, at the crack of dawn, with people who've just rolled out of bed. Now, I've never really thought about this fact much before, but as I was reflecting on it this week, it got me thinking about the two things that are essential for waking up at least for me, and it's not a persistent toddler, that, that works well. But on those days when I've got to get up before the kids, I need my alarm clock radio and I need my lamp. These are actually from my bedside table. And for me, the two of them actually work in tandem because the alarm is going to get you up. Right? It's going to wake you up, get your attention, but it's, it's really the lamp that seals the deal. You might be like me, but if, my, if it's just my alarm going off, there's always the temptation or the danger that you'll just turn it off and go back to sleep. But the moment that lamp goes on, it's game over, right? Like, you're not going back to sleep. So I actually need the sound of the alarm and I need the light of the lamp. I wonder... If that's how it works for you, you might be on a different routine to me. But the more I thought about it this week, the more I'm convinced that what happened on that first Easter Sunday, this early morning story, actually has the potential to impact us just like an alarm or a lamp. You see, the resurrection of Jesus has the power to wake us up to a new reality, a reality that offers to transform everything. So... The alarm clock. 
as these early morning events unfold in John chapter 20, one thing you'll probably notice is that there's a lot of alarm in the passage, isn't there? When Mary, the morning person, kind of rocks up at Jesus' tomb while it was still dark, she's fully expecting to find it undisturbed, untouched, but it wasn't. It was open. Even more than that, she was certainly expecting to find Jesus' body still there, but it wasn't. It was gone. So understandably, she's alarmed and she assumes the worst. Someone's moved the body. Most likely could be grave robbers who are looking to make a quick buck. Because you see, Jesus hadn't been buried in, in some random ditch. He'd been buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, right? A well-known spot. So for someone to be buried in that tomb, it totally would have been a target for thieves. In her alarm, Mary seeks out two of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter and John, and her alarm quickly becomes their alarm, (laughs) both literally and figuratively, because it was still dark, right? And so most likely she goes back and has to actually wake Peter and John up. She, She literally becomes their alarm in that sense. And as she shares the alarming news with them, they take off to the tomb to find out what happened. Now, unlike Mary, who stays outside, when Peter and John arrive, they actually go into the tomb in order to get a better look, and it's empty, apart from Jesus' grave clothes. <laughs> it's, it's a really funny detail that John's Gospel kind of hammers home. It really gets stuck on the linen, doesn't he? I think the reason is because the scene that Peter and John find in the empty tomb is not at all what you'd expect if it had been disturbed by robbers. I mean, which thief, in their right mind, would take the risk of breaking into this heavily guarded, high-profile tomb and then take the time and the effort to unwrap the body before leaving? It'd be like a, like a carjacker who who hurriedly kind of hotwires the Mercedes-Benz, but before zooming off into the sunset, you know, they, they, they decide to remove the flat-packed IKEA bookcase from the boot and with an Allen key, just assemble it on the side of the road. It's like, that's not how robbers roll. Yet Jesus' grave clothes, they were left behind, John's Gospel tells us. And they're not strewn about as if the body had kind of been hurriedly unwrapped They're neatly arranged, John tells us, as if the body had had somehow simply vanished. And it's in that moment, we're told, in that moment, Peter and John saw the scene and they believed. They believed. They believed what was previously unthinkable, what was previously unfathomable, and what was against their every expectation. Because two days before, they'd seen Jesus beaten to within an inch of his life, And then they'd seen with their own eyes him nailed to a cross and hung up there until he died. They'd seen it. And they'd assumed that his death meant defeat. But friends, on on this early morning, like an alarm going off, the echo of that empty tomb was actually announcing the exact opposite. Jesus was victorious. He was victorious. He'd been vindicated. He'd risen from the dead, just like he said that he would. His claims had been authenticated, right? Death had tried to swallow him. 
but death got swallowed up instead. Once and for all, Jesus had put death to death. Its reign had been overthrown, its grip loosened, and its power nullified. And ever since then, from that Sunday morning onwards, the echo of the empty tomb has continued to reverberate throughout the ages. To this very day, in fact, it's the sound that's drawn us here this morning. Death has been defeated. Defeated. It's been defeated. It's virtually impossible to overstate just how monumental this moment is here in John chapter 20. Not just for the gospel, but for all of history. I love the way that the famous Christian author C.S. Lewis puts it when he says, Christ's achievement from rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. Everything is different. You know, when your alarm goes off in the morning, it's like an invitation to start a new day, isn't it? Well, in the same way, the echo of the empty tomb invites us to start a new day, to step into a new reality, a world where, where death no longer rules, a world where grief and sorrow and pain, they no longer have the final word. And so, friends, it's worth us asking ourselves, you know, have I woken up to this reality? to the reality of the resurrection. Because you see, when your alarm's going off, there's always that temptation to kind of hit the snooze button and roll over. I mean, I love the snooze button. I, sometimes I will set my alarm too early just so that I have the pleasure of hitting that button a few times. <laughs> but friends, whatever you do, don't hit snooze on the resurrection. Don't hear the alarm going off and just roll over. Come awake. Come awake. Today of all days, right? The echo of the empty tomb is ringing out today, loud and clear. Come awake and start the new day. Jesus is risen from the dead. And as Lewis says, everything is different because he has done so. I wonder if that's true for you. You see, you might suspect that, that the, the resurrection is a historical reality. And I mean, the weight of evidence certainly attests to that. But are you any different? Is your life actually different because of it? You know the reason why the lamp is so important in waking up? It's because of the way that it forces, the light forces your eyes to open in the darkness. And I'm sure you know that feeling, right? When, when you've been in a deep sleep, it's pitch black in your room, suddenly the light's on and, and you can't see straight away, can you? kind of have to, you have to squint your eyes a little as, as they adjust to the light. It can take a little while to adjust to that change. And it, it's kind of similar, I think, to the change that Mary goes through in John chapter 20. As she hears the echo of this empty tomb for the first time, she actually... She's the first to see it, isn't she? And yet she doesn't quite get what's happened straight away. 
And even when she does come face to face with the risen Jesus, she's, she's not looking for him when she sees him. And it's not until he addresses her by name. It's not until that moment where she comes to see things clearly. It's like her eyes have finally adjusted to the light. And just like Peter and John, she sees and she believes. The unthinkable, the unfathomable has actually happened. Jesus lives. I don't know if you've ever had moments like that in your life. That kind of intense, sudden realization of something. Like the lights have come on. Maybe, maybe they're moments that are connected to your relationship with God. Coming to realize the truth about Him, about what He's done, about what it all means for you. What I love about Mary's response is the change that Jesus' resurrection actually brings about in her. She's transformed by this realization, isn't she? She goes from being alarmed and confused, and bewildered, and grief-stricken, to being relieved, and what do we see? She's filled with joy, brimming with excitement, and she's just bursting to, to share the incredible news with the rest of the disciples. In just the space of a few moments, you know, her outlook does a complete 180. So too with us, like switching on a lamp, in a darkened room. It's actually by the light of Jesus' resurrection that we can now truly see everything. As Lewis said, everything is now different, like going from dark to light. And why is that? Well, because, because through Jesus' resurrection, though it might have been the very first of its kind, it, it certainly will not be the last and his rising is actually the promise of our own rising. You see, by defeating death's hold over him, Jesus offers to defeat death's hold over you. He didn't just die on our behalf, he rose on our behalf as well. Did you know that? And so to all those who put their faith and their trust in him, to those who are willing to follow him as their shepherd and king, he doesn't just offer God's forgiveness he offers God's eternal life, a place in His coming kingdom where there's, there's not going to be any more death, any more crying, any more mourning. And so, you know, we make a terrible mistake when we confine what happened that first Easter just to the past, as, as if it's just some kind of historical, curious oddity. And we also make a mistake when we, when we leave it all to the future, you know, as if Jesus' resurrection is just something that is way off in the future. It is so monumental, friends, so paradox-shifting that it really should be changing and transforming us right now. Right now. The great 19th century English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, called it possessing the risen life. I really like that, possessing the risen life. You notice it's present tense. Resurrection is not just for Easter Sunday each year. It's not just a back then thing. It actually also touches on right now. It's a present reality. And it, it doesn't just promise to shape the life to come. It really should be shaping the life you're living right now. You see, there's, there's quite a big difference between simply knowing of the resurrection 
and then actually living out the resurrection. Big difference. For instance, if death is not the final word, then the way we think about time is dramatically reshaped, isn't it? Because there's really no such thing as running out of time if eternity is in your picture. And the reality of resurrection is also going to reshape our priorities as well, isn't it? Because what is the most important thing in life? Well, it can't be our stuff, can it? Because Jesus doesn't promise to resurrect our bank accounts, does he? Just people. And in light of the resurrection, then, it's, it's actually relationships that matter the most, isn't it? None more so than your relationship with the only one who has the power to bring you back to life. How is your relationship going with him? Perhaps most profoundly of all, the resurrection reshapes the way we think about the future. You see, living the risen life actually means living with hope now. And the echo of the empty tomb doesn't just wake us up, it actually lights the way ahead. It it shows us what's to come. It offers us the certain hope that, that death is not my end. So however difficult life might get, whatever kind of pain you might have to endure, whatever kind of loss you might have to face, hope that is founded on the resurrection reminds us that the best is yet to come. My grandfather passed away a few years ago. I actually got to take his funeral, standing right here in this very spot. And I remember getting the chance to sit with him a few times in the final weeks of his life. He'd been suffering for a long time, and his final years were particularly hard on him. But those last conversations in the days before he died, they weren't weighed down by the pain he was in, or the suffering that he'd gone through. His words were filled with hope, hope of what was to come. He knew he didn't have long left. He actually asked me to take his funeral and we talked about what he wanted for it. And as I've been reflecting on those conversations with him, in light of today's passage, it's only actually just struck me now that that he had all the same qualities that we can see in Mary when she came to realise the reality of resurrection. I remember us reading together Jesus' famous words from earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. As we spoke, there was great relief in his voice as well as this edge of kind of joyful excitement at what lay ahead. And there's also just this overwhelming desire for everyone who was going to be at his funeral, who he knew and loved, that they might hear the good news of Jesus and his resurrection. Give them both barrels, Matt. I remember him saying to me. He would have liked today's sermon. You see, just like Mary, my grandfather had been transformed by Jesus's resurrection. The light had come on. He had been living the risen life. You know, now he is living that life right beside his Lord. Friends, Easter Sunday is an early morning story. 
The echo of the empty tomb is the wake-up call for our weary world. The question is, are you awake to the reality of resurrection? Are you living the risen life today? We're going to sing our final hymn together now. What better way for us to respond to the good news of the resurrection than with a hymn of victory? It's called the Day of Resurrection. I invite you to belt it out. As, as all good hymns should be. And as you do, pay particular attention to verse 2, which picks up on the very same themes of, of sound and light that we've been reflecting on. Please stand as we sing. Please be seated. What a great uh, thing to do in the middle of a, a long weekend uh, here in a beautiful autumn in Sydney and in Manly. Uh, what a wonderful thing to do to recognise that story, a true story that echoes down through the ages and invites us to be awake to the reality of the resurrection, 
and learn more and more about what it means to live the risen life in Christ, full of hope that this life is not all there is, but beyond the grave, we look forward to being with the one who died and rose for us. I'd like to invite you to come and enjoy a hot cross bun or two uh, before you head away from St Matthew's this morning. But as we close the formal part of our gathering this morning, I'm going to read a verse for you from the end of John chapter 20, which draws together not only what happened at that first Easter, but the whole story of Jesus. And then I've got a word of encouragement from the letter of, uh, from the, the book of Hebrews in the Bible. At the end of John 20, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in, these book, in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So from the book of Hebrews we hear this encouragement. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us that that which is pleasing to him through jesus christ to whom be glory for ever and ever amen